Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Dylan. Welcome back to Jokerman Premium on Patreon. This is a Patreon one, right? It is a Patreon one, yes. Welcome to Patreon. This is where you're going to get all of the smart opinions as opposed to the dumb ones that we put out on the normal episodes. Other way around. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, folks. We're not even trying. One of the tracks, (laughs) one star. This is just uh, where we're... We forget what we even said before. We're just going to sort of fumble through. We're going to just have verbal um, diarrhea. Maybe we'll do another one of those episodes where Evan talks angrily about the Marvel Cinematic Universe for 45 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. if I, I don't even have it in me anymore to talk angrily or like with any emotion about that stuff. It's just like... It's it's just the air we breathe now. It's the water. It's, it's the muck we it, swim in. You know. It is exactly. It's uh, like complaining about the, uh, about the I don't know the pollution. Everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, everybody knows that the dice were loaded. Um, yeah, this might be a this might be a low T another classic Jokerman low T app for uh, those of you out there in in Patreon land. Uh, Evan has just recently been injected with the DNA of Jeffrey Epstein, so it's kind of working its way through his system at the moment. Well, it's it's, it's with the D, the first one is actually the Ep- Epstein DNA, and then the second um, vaccine they give you is Doctor Fauci, and then they fight the the two fight in your body. It's like os- it. Osmosis Jones. Sure, sure. It's a Jewish angel, Jewish devil. <laughs> no, wait. Fauci's Italian, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, Fauci's not Jewish. So uh, which one's the Jewish angel, what were you saying? <laughs> well, that was Jeff. God, we're doing good so far. We're off to, uh, off to a rousing start. Well, here's, well, yeah. here's, uh, my, here's my galaxy brain um, uh, lens that I'm going to pull out. And, and sort of make everything we do okay um, is, uh, let's see if I can stick this landing. So I might feel a little out of it because of um, my, my vaccine uh, and, the, and the, the side effects. And so this episode might be a little low stakes. But you know what? Uh, this topic didn't even actually uh, get released officially so that's true. It was just a one night thing, actually two nights. two nights, but you know, in spirit, you know, just like we're going to go out there and we're going to put on a show and, uh, it didn't ever actually see the light of official release day. So 
with that same sort of cavalier spirit of just kind of having an intimate concert with the Joker yes. men, we're going to uh, talk tonight about the Supper Club shows show, because I think we're mainly focusing on, we'll talk about the whole thing, but it's like four hours long total. So like we're, there's two nights where basically the same songs are played with a couple differences. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking uh, specifically on, and, and we'll actually put a link to this in the episode description. So uh, everyone we're talking knows. night one, right? Well, so what we're talking is a compilation of all, of all of the nights, oh. uh, the, the, the apparent best takes and cuts of each song from each night rolled up into a sort of a greatest hits package. Um, but yeah, there were two nights, there were four shows. There was an early show and a late show. Um, and you'll actually see that in the, um, in the, uh, record. If you download it, you can download it for free from this website. Just take a look at the, um, the episode description. Uh, but some of the, some of the songs are tagged, you know, the date E and some of them are tagged with the date L and, uh, date that's e. my, uh, initials. Uh, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Early, late, early, late. Yeah. Early night or early show from whatever day, late show from whatever day. So that's what we're looking at is two nights, four shows, but one kind of greatest hits collection of all of it. Uh, or at least the person who put together this greatest hits collection, um, of all of it. This is, this really is, I guess the first technical Jokerman dive into the folk art of the Bob bootleggers. Of, of the Bob bootleggers. Yeah. This is um, um a, a rich tapestry. Exactly. This is this is the Bob Dylan uh listening experience equivalent of like, you know, a, a quilt or a um a, some kind of like block of wood chiseled into the shape of uh Popeye. <laughs> you know, the it's, folk exactly. art. Something that is is uh beautiful uh, and and sort of brilliant, but also has like a misshapen quality to it. Almost. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like our best guess, somebody's best guess at w- what this would have been like had it been officially released. Yes, and it was supposed to be officially released. That's the one thing to note. Is so this just a little bit of context for those of you who might not be familiar with the Supper Club sessions from 1993. This uh, took place right at the same time when Bob was doing the uh, you know the cover records, uh, the early '90s cover records, at least the the stripped down acoustic material post Red Sky, um, World Gone Wrong, and Good as I've Been to You, and uh, which obviously as we covered, we're all familiar with. Bob kind of uh, pauses the forward momentum on his career after the not entirely successful Red Sky record. And uh, and kind of goes back to the well, does some Delta Blues material, does some English and Scottish folk songs, does some Appalachian mati- shit, uh, <laughs> and kind of reconnects. He, he doesn't he just go back to the well. He goes back to like the old, old haunted well that's like at the bottom of the house. He, he does, Like in that movie, The Changeling. That's what he's doing with, with music. He's, mm. he's digging up the bottom of a, of a room to find literally an old dusty well with bones in it uh, so that he can figure out the mystery of the cursed uh, little wheelchair or whatever. Yes, that which is a metaphor for moving from Wiggle Wiggle to uh, Lovesick. To some of the best material of his entire career. 
<laughs> in the in the late nineteen yes. in the late 1990s to release some of the strongest material of his career. But this is how that happens. You don't just go from the 80s to the 90s to the late 1990s. You you got to you got to go take a trip to the past first and yes. uh, do some black magic voodoo and rediscover songs about pirates and shit. Yeah, it's cool. Um so so yeah, so Bob had kind of you know, those, those records, right. Had all been kind of literally solo records, Bob and a guitar and that's it. And, you know, some mics. Um, and, uh, and so these, this, these performances here on supper club are a lot of those songs plus, you know, kind of mixed in with some of Bob's greatest hits, uh, his own and some less great hits that are actually really, really fun. Um, but it's, it's the stripped down kind of, uh, vibe and take, but he's got the full band behind it. Right. It's um, it's like un, it's it's actually pretty similar, I think, in a lot of ways to the unplugged uh, MTV unplugged. Exactly. I mean, there, which comes out in '95. Right. It's it's right around that. I mean, when does the the never ending tour officially start? Yeah. And I, you know, it, 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 it's sort of nebulous. I think that spreadsheet that, uh, obviously, Oh, oh we um, had so many comments about has, after I posted has, that, there was like all these people going, um, actually it's not, <laughs> that's actually, we, that doesn't include, uh, so-and-so who played the bass from this time. And we were, we were asking for it by posting. That. I we didn't even, I that didn't that realize gonna, how that was, what was how much of a lightning rod that was for people going, um, excuse me. I just wanted to point <laughs> out. <laughs> I mean, uh, God bless all of you. If you are one of those people who did that and you're one of the, these people listening to this Patreon episode, uh, you were, you were cool. We liked your comments, but it was all the other ones that were bad and that we didn't like. Yeah. Now everyone is just trying to do the right thing. <laughs> I think there's something something charming about it. Uh, surely, like every- surely there is. It's, it's also just not my wheelhouse. You know, like I've never been anyone who's ever into like statistics of any kind. I'm just not that interested in it. I'm interested in We're the, not smart the story. Guys. You know, I want I want the thematic uh, angle. I want to see like who was creating what vibe at what time I want a vibe chart. I don't, I don't want to see just the numbers and the raw data. I think what you're saying is on the, uh, you know, on the spectrum from Elizabeth Warren to Marianne Williamson, you and I are both on the Marianne Williamson side. Yeah. Cause we're hot and cool. Exactly. <laughs> we're not nerds. We're interested in spiritual truths, not numerical truths. Yeah. Although you can you can have both, you know, it's just the rare person who can square that circle, thread that needle. Um, anyways, uh, what were we even saying? Well, oh, when did the Never Ending Tour begin? It's unclear. It's somewhere in the early nineties. You told me that story about how it became named that, though, which I, we should have talked about on the last episode with Tyler. With Tyler, but uh, care to remind me about how that went? Yes, yes. Yeah, this was the this was the founding of the Never Ending Tour. Um and it's a little it has always been a little unclear exactly where it came from and and when it began uh and who began it. This wasn't it's not like Bob decided to wake up one day and say like, 
hey, I'm I'm beginning the never-ending tour. I'm going to start a tour that never ends. Never ends. Uh, so what do we got? Uh, the tour's name, this is 1989, the tour's name was cemented when journalist Adrian DeVoy published his interview with Dylan in Q Magazine number 39, December 89. The critic Michael Gray listened to DeVoy's interview tape and points out in the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia that though DeVoy's article put the phrase into Dylan's mouth, in fact, the label came from DeVoy in the following exchange. Uh, this is DeVoy uh, quoting... Uh, tell me about this live thing. You've gone straight into this tour again. One tour, virtually straight, into the next one. Bob. Oh, it's all the same tour. Devoy. It's the never-ending tour? Bob, in parentheses, unenthusiastically. Yeah, comma, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then uh, to to go f- a little further on that, uh, uh, the sleeve notes or the liner notes to "World Gone Wrong" few few years later, ninety three, which you know right around the same time, Bob wrote. Remember the the "World Gone Wrong" liner notes had been a big, huge um, kind of um, uh, opus essay kind of thing that he hadn't been doing for many years, so people were really stoked on that. Bob wrote, "Don't be bewildered." by the never-ending tour chatter. There was a never-ending tour, but it ended in 1991 with the departure of guitarist G.E. Smith. That one's long gone, but there have been many others since then. The, quote, Money Never Runs Out tour, fall of 91. The Southern Sympathizer tour, early 92. You gotta watch out for that, Bob. Uh, Why Do You Look At Me So Strangely tour, European tour, 92. The One Sad Cry of Pity tour, Australia and West Coast American tour, 92. The Outburst of Consciousness Tour, 92. The Don't Let Your Deal Go Down, <laughs> I met 19. your mother at the Outburst of Consciousness Tour <laughs> in 1992. Uh, high out of our minds. Don't Let Your Deal Go Down Tour, 93, and others too many to mention, each with their own character and design. Um, so Bob is not super thrilled with the whole never-ending tour kind of concept, although I think he has leaned into it since then. Um, I feel like him making that uh, ridiculous list uh, is him kind of tacitly giving approval. Yeah, he's, he's saying it is a thing. It's a winky, wink and nod. I want to figure out at one at some point, and this is, we, we're probably going to need to consult the folks in the, in the Twitter thread um, uh, <laughs> uh, replying to the, the never-ending tour timeline. Uh, but I want to figure out when and where the logo comes from. You know, oh, Bob, like the, the Bob eye. The eye, which the like... The mystical eye of Bob. Yeah, the all-seeing eye, the triple parentheses, Bob Dylan. I'm, good, I'm willing to bet that it was around the Outburst of Consciousness tour when that really <laughs> exploded onto the scene. Yeah, that eye is the eye of, uh, the eye of consciousness. I, um, I, it's so funny, I'm going... Uh, there was a never-ending tour, but that ended. <laughs> there was a never-ending tour, and it ended in 1991. So fun. Uh, what, a, uh, what a bitch. All right, well, let's get into the music, right? Yeah, so, let's uh, let's dive into this kind of so unofficial... Wait, 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 wait. Where is the Supper Club? It's in New York City. Just wanted to get that across. Yes. Yeah, this is Bob once again returning to his roots, uh, you know, pretending he's back at the gaslight with old Van Ronk there in the audience to applaud him. Is the Supper Club still around? I think so. Um, I think it's, you know, just kind of like an intimate little, like, um, like 
seems like the kind of place where you like go and have a couple drinks and like you know smoke cigarettes inside and like watch jazz music or something that isn't particularly good. It permanently closed. Oh well, there you have it. It sucks. No, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Of course, it's named for the uh, the the general. Um, uh, concept you know you could say of a supper club dinner and a show you set at these little tables and you're you're having a little filet or the chicken or whatever and you have a show on the stage yeah i don't know if they really serve food like while you're watching bot but anyway I'm- blow that heart blow that harp honk on bobo and let's get whisked away to a to like a, a table with some red or white tablecloth on it and maybe um, a tilapia on, on the plate. Yum. We start off with Ragged and Dirty, which as we were which talking about is, you know, sort of get, making it making it clear that this set is going to include some of that material from World Gone Wrong, from uh, from Good As I've Been to You, rather. It's, I think, right about the same time as World Gone Wrong, because that was a 93 release also. And oh, right, this shows is 93, took, right, right. Yeah, this sh- these shows took place in November 93, so I forget what time during the year World Gone Wrong came out, but I, I, I would guess that it was before this. Yeah, we can't just look that up. We're going to have to uh, get in touch with the Jokerman fact-checking department after this episode. We'll, we'll update you all in, October, in two, three weeks. October 26th. So it just come out. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. It's so funny when you look it up on uh, online, it just says, um, you know, artist Bob Dylan released October 26, 93. Studio Bob Dylan's Malibu Garage. <laughs> <laughs> Is, that is funny, but it's also uh, 100% well, factual. Well, it's just the truth. It, it's funny that it seems like maybe that's like a whimsical title, but it's literally just like his garage and his home in Malibu. What do you think about this ragged and dirty? Of course, uh, this isn't the first like canonical, like I don't know if this was the first opening track. Yeah, I don't know that it was either, but we're, we're sticking with the playlist on this, uh, on this record here. So thank you to the poster of uh, thousand highways dot blogspot dot com for bringing this to us. Yeah. Thank you. This is a blues song. <laughs> I thought you had, I thought you had more to say there. Um, Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the covers from the cover records, uh, blown out with the full, the full live band sound here. Um, and I think that's really kind of the coolest thing with the several club songs to my mind is that it, it, it is a stripped down and acoustic kind of sound, very bluegrassy all throughout, but it still has some like heft and some weight and some energy to it that I think is not entirely present on the, uh, on the the actual, you know, I guess I was going to call them studio LPs, but the, you know, the, the, well, of course the LPs it's not. Are, of course it's not in. It's a, it's just an acoustic guitar, and this is a real band. Yeah, but the the the. I mean, I, I, thinking back to those those records when we talked about them, I think part of what I 
maybe didn't vibe with quite as much as it, it, it was just, it, it kind of got a little sleepy after a little while, a little repetitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, as great as some of the interpretations of some of those songs could be, you know, too many of them just stacked one on top of the other, especially uh, good as I've been to you, which is like 14 songs long or something. Um, it just, it, you know, it, it, it starts to become diminishing returns by the end of it. Although froggy when accordion is a, is an all timer. Um, and so these songs kind of energized and charged up with this pretty crack band, actually, um, really kind of give them a, a, a three dimensionality and a whole kind of new life. I think that they only had a part of, uh, on the record. Yeah. It's a cool way to hear these songs. Um, and I think that the ones that are the, the covers on here particularly seem to stand out with a kind of vim and vigor from Bob. He seems like it makes sense of actually that, you know, the songs that he had just recorded and put on a record, which of course have those uh, great liner notes that are very like creative, especially on world gone wrong. It, it makes sense that he's like, seems very in tune with that material uh, uh, here when he's like playing it around that time. This is basically the tour for the record. Right. Yeah. The tour that never really, never really occurred for better or for worse. Yes. Yeah. It was an interesting kind of time. That was one other kind of trivia note that I wanted to mention. Bob was not actually signed to a label at this time. He was not on Columbia. What? Um, he was uh, he he had fulfilled his his contractual obligations um, with the War Gone Wrong record and was a free agent for a time you know a short period of time at least obviously he ended up going back uh, shortly thereafter and has been a Columbia recording artist ever since as as his uh, hype man has has uh, told many crowds all throughout the ages um, but he was totally on his own at this time and he paid for this whole thing out of pocket really like this separate. Supper- yeah, this supper club setup, like it was filmed professionally. There's like a video tape of the entire concert. Uh, the entire, Can we see that? You know, I, there's no, we don't have the video anywhere, as uh, far as I know, at least. I wish. Um, but that, that's why these, these, uh, these recordings sound so good. They basically are an official release. It's like an official, or it's like an unofficial official bootleg series release. Mm. Um, because it was supposed to come out as a live record, basically that Bob, uh, like I said, paid for entirely out of pocket. And then for some unknown reason, some Bob reason, he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or he had a, you know, kind of warm glass of milk and it made him upset. Uh, he just canned the whole thing and none of it ever came out and it still hasn't officially seen the light of day. It seems like tailor made to be a bootleg series release officially at some point in the future. But even till this day, it's still just kind of exists as this, you know, never, never officially seen the light of day recording. That's right. Right in the, in the can already for them. They'll probably put out the video at some point too. Yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah. that's, that's very charming that he would even like, that he would shell out on purpose, like on his own money. On his own dime. Yeah. He doesn't have Columbia bankrolling him for all this, which makes you think like, oh, he really put a lot of thought into this in terms of the set list, in terms of the band, in terms of the overall project. And then it just, it's, it's sort of like the thing that Kian was telling us about where like that, that has never seen the light of day, uh, at least up until now, that just some right, whatever random that mysterious was. project. How many of those have there been? Is the exactly, yeah, exactly. Thinking, 
thinking about like this one plus that one, yeah, like there there have got to be another fifteen of those or something at least sitting in the archives. How many whole records have we not even? Well, we just never hear about. It's possible. Great question. Well, moving on, uh, we've got one too many mornings. Sure do. You know, showing that we're going back into the old past of Dylan's career and the old past of music as a as a whole, as a popular form of folk music. This has like a, you know, we were talking about like the Rainbow Connection being something that Dylan played at one point. Mm. This has a little bit of that, that um, banjo. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a very like heavy kind of bluegrassy kind of feel to it. It's like the Country Bear Jamboree. Right. Which is nice. I think it suits the song. It suits the song very well, uh, much more so than the you know kind of howling version that you get on. Um, uh, it's before the flood, I think. Right. Uh, you're putting me in a in a tough spot now. <laughs> I'm, per- I'm pretty sure I'm right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's sort of slow and and measured. Um, and that, that banjo is really super present and Bob kind of luxuriates. You're thinking of, uh, actually hard rain has a one too many, hard rain? that has a one too many mornings on it. And does before the flood not? I don't believe it does. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. I know what I'm thinking of. It's the, it's bootleg four. Cause I knew the band was on it. Oh yes. And you mean like the, yeah. Like for yeah, which is live '66. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when they really crank it up and turn it electric. You know Anyways, this this, this version. I think uh, as someone who's not particularly a huge fan of this song, um, I think it, it this is a good version of it because it it just feels really natural. It doesn't um, it doesn't try to sound like a big epic. It's just kind of a earthy, homey. Uh, number, you know, yeah, totally. Where, where I think, like, I tend to sort of look at this song uh, down my nose a little because people, I don't know, I feel like people think of this as like, oh, this is one of the great songs by Bob Dylan. It's like to me, it's like a, a good song, but it's not like, come on. I mean, I think it's, it's not like capital G. Yeah, great. I, th- Dylan. I think it benefits, or it has a stronger. Uh, reputation than maybe it deserves because of its placement. It's it's on times, obviously, which I think is, well, I mean, I don't want to get too far into it, but I, I think in general is, is sort of a weaker record, uh, as a record, at least, uh, from the early stage of his career. Uh, but this is one of the higher, you know, kind of highlights on that on that album. Um, and, and Bob is clearly very fond of it. I think he's played it like hundreds of times or something. Um, and you And you see it all throughout his career, which is one of the clear clues that it's something that he really kind of gives a shit about. Um, yeah, 237 times. So I guess it's not way up there, but he's played it all the way from 66 to 2005. So clearly many instances of, uh, of this song, many versions of it. You know, um, uh, that new Clinton Halen book that there's all this drama about, uh, it's titled, uh, a lyric from this, the, it's a restless, hungry feeling. Right. Which, you know, I haven't either. We were given advanced copies, but probably not uh, alone in that. I think they probably did that for a few select Dylan 
people. Dylan, yes, Dylan, all of the, all of the, all of the Bob Dylan talkers and knowers who are even dumber than us. Um, I bet they have cracked the book and we (laughs) (laughs) probably, uh, next we got, uh, well, before we go on, I don't know, maybe I'm not giving that song enough love. We'll get to it on its own. We'll talk about it on, on the times episode. Anyway, good version. But, uh, next, what do we have? But I'll be your baby tonight. A song that, that old chestnut, you know, uh, we always love, love to hear, um, what 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 is there to say? You know, it's I'll be your baby tonight. It's a it's a good it's a good like sort of just like how would you describe the sound of this uh, this band and and this? Uh, it's, well, I mean, the band kind of comes and goes depending on or not it doesn't come and go, but the sound comes and goes and changes depending on the song. Um, sometimes you get a little bluegrass, sometimes you get a little folk. Uh, this I'll be your baby tonight. This is a honky tonk yeah. sound. Yeah, uh, you know, it sounds like. Sounds like a version of the song you might hear in the Roadhouse in Twin Peaks or something. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot of great fun. Uh, pretty jaunty, pretty you know, kind of up there. But it's very it's, it's a, low it's low uh, tempo. It's pretty slow, or it's just got a, a nice like easy pace shuffle. To yeah, it's it. easy. Exactly. Da-da, I don't know that it's slow. It's um. Dylan sounds on this whole thing to me like this sweet spot between being like very lucid and being kind of like just another instrument in the, in this group. He kind of melts into the sound of this band. Um, His voice, you mean? Yeah. His approach. It's not like he um, is going for maximum uh, dramatic flair he's kind of really singing and playing his voice like to match the way that the band is playing these songs versus, you know, maybe like another approach he's taken where it's a little bit more him up front and commanding and everybody kind of playing along like following his lead. This feels like he's really in the pocket, like with them. Yeah. I, I, I feel that. I, and I definitely, think um that his presence in the group is pretty pretty uh, he's just kind of in a good spot right right here some of the comments i think uh there's another like write up of the supper club shows that i was reading earlier from some you know random other website online that was like bob's voice is a little ragged in uh, uh, in in these shows and on on these um, uh, on these songs, but I actually I think he's really kind of like inhabiting them really successfully. And you know, it's not he, he's not crooning necessarily on on everything, but he's got like he he's there's like a, a clear level of familiarity and comfort I think with the material um, and um, uh, with the set list at least that he's picked, um, which suits him really well and just makes really kind of warm and friendly and like it goes down really easy, you know, a spoonful mm-hmm. of sugar, uh, basically. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and agree then more. next, what do we get? But this is kind of like the, the reason part, part we'll get to the main dish that, that will come to at a certain point on this, but Kind of the the. I'm interested to see what you consider the main dish. I think you know. 
But um, I, I think I probably the, the agree, sides but, yeah. that are nice, like your coleslaw and your beans, are just these moments where you hear a familiar song, like "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight," and then into Jim Jones, and it's like a cool full band version of Jim Jones. Like that's that's pretty cool. I think that's yeah. like the special touch. Timmy, Timmy, Tim. Every I just love the sound of. The crowd going, woo! It's Jim Jones. It's Jim Jones. It's Jim Jones. Yeah, there's some fucking dumbass in a lot of these. In a lot of these songs, <laughs> uh, not all of them, because again, it's cold from four different shows over two nights. But there is, there is. I, I don't know which night it is, but there's one. There's one guy in the audience one of these times who's just hooting and hollering. I would, I would love to be the guy who's who's the reason this was never released, <laughs> just because I'm up front going, Jim Jones. Jim Jones. <laughs> He's about to sing Jack a Row. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 gotta, you gotta appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I mean, Jim Jones. Good song. We love and Jim I think Joe. this version, even even better version. I I really like. Do honestly think that almost all of the. Uh, cover songs on this set. Like I prefer these versions. I to agree. The versions. If those Pretty came out, I mean, that would have been if that, if the record had just been this, like in the studio, that would have been great. Would have been great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cause you know, Bob has always been able to put together an absolutely, you know, just crack killer band. Um, Jim Jones has and, got such a, a good, um, it's such a fun little song when, when it's played with the band, like mm-hmm. Yeah, there's almost like a Jimmy Buffett vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Which is fitting. It's like the original Jimmy Buffett type of song. Being like a, a guy on the run, sort of like on the high seas. Well, he's not on the run. He's been he's been arrested by the British Crown and sent to the Bot- prison Botany colony of all Bay. the sicko Australians. Right, the Australian thing again. Um, yeah, right, right. Even worse than being on the run. It's if it was a, a Jimmy Buffett song, it'd be like, "I'm in Australia. I'm so sorry I failed you." <laughs> That's pretty good. Something like that. Um, what's Weeping Willow? Because that's the next song. It sure is. Uh, Weeping Willow, I think, is another cover. I certainly um, not a Bobby original. Yeah, I've started being more okay with saying Bobby now because I just like don't give a shit anymore. Bobby, I'm starting to just go Bobby. <laughs> I think at a certain point when you've just like talked about Bob Dylan this much, you just start to like try to make it <laughs> more fun for yourself. <laughs> Keep it fresh. You start- you start calling him Zimmy. Zimmy. <laughs> Zimbo. Zimbo. I'm pretty, I'm pretty locked in on Bob. Yeah. I, I know he doesn't really like I, being I, called Bob. I mean, I, for, in, for all intents and purposes, it's Bob for me too. Yeah. But. Yeah. Calling him Dylan feels too like. That's annoying. Too much, too much removed from it. Yeah. Too like scholarly almost. Um, you know, we're just here to talk about Bob, you know, have a good time. Bob. Yeah. Bob. Uh, yeah, Weeping Willie, another, another cover song uh, that I don't think made it on either of the records, at least as far as I can remember, uh, which uh, I'm doing the best that I can at the moment. 
Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. Bob, there, there's Bob is nice and kind of like moody in this one. He, he literally says, aw shucks at one point, which is pretty cute. No way. Oh, I just heard it. Ah, shucks. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> that's our, that's our boy. That's a- uh, but yeah, another cover. I think we can move along to yes. what I consider kind of the 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 uh, entree uh, on the record. These next uh, two songs, really. That's what I'm saying. Um, hmm? That's what I was saying. Yeah, the surf and then the turf, um, as it were. Uh, the first one, Jokerman favorite, Ring Them Bells. Yes. Ring Them Bells, man. Um, this is really good. It's, it's one of those kind of strange moments listening to this where I was like, Oh yeah. Like everybody in the crowd is probably pretty familiar with, with this song now it's been what, like four years, four years. Yeah. So it'd be like, you know, pretty well known if you're a fan, but it's a, you know, his last like real major record. Um, from at this point, yeah, because like, when does uh, when's Red Sky 90, right? So, like, when you're comparing those two, like, it, it, it's his last, like, e ticket, you know, like, big significant record. Yeah, big he's, he's not bringing cats in the well out on this show, right? But yeah, I mean, ringing the bells or uh, ring the bells. Ringing the bells, yeah. Ringing the bells, ringing them bells. Um, it's really cool to hear it, minus all the Lanois shit, which I think, as I've hopefully made clear, uh, I'm generally in favor of uh, on both Oh Mercy and um, Time Out of Mind. Um, but even still, I think it like some of these songs are so strong the bones are so solid that like they deserve to have alternate lives and so this version of ring them bells i think is exactly what i'm looking for there's this beautiful like pedal steel all the way throughout of it and bob is like really kind of especially as the song goes on and it builds and builds and like kind of gets to the last couple of verses like he's he's so into just ring them bells yeah it's like it it's I, I love it. I, I think it's such a, like every version of this song uh, kind of complicates things further and like makes it a deeper and richer kind of text. I agree um, that it's really cool to hear it without any of the Lanois pageantry, you know, sonically. Right. It's just uh, reminds you that this is like, you know, it fits right in there with like all these old, old songs that it, just feels like a classic, like a timeless song. Yeah. Really kind of the perfect, like by this time he had, he had learned how to write a, I mean, I don't even want to call it a Christian song because it isn't really a Christian song. He mentions God and stuff like that, but this doesn't have any of the same kind of feel as, uh, as slow train or saved material. Um, it's just like, it's the perfect kind of distillation of, you know, I, I think it's similar to every grain of sand in that way, actually, where there is a spiritual element of, to mm-hmm. it, clearly, but like not a not a strictly like denominational evangelical kind of um, um, focus. It's like you know anyone who wants 
can take what they need to out of this song. Yeah, this is this is for the only the lonely. This is for the the, the spiritual <laughs> seekers. And it, he is on on this whole record, but it, this is like the first instance where you really hear it. He's like he's singing as if he has the finest voice in the world. Right. But he has Bob Dylan's voice. Which is the finest voice in the world. Well, he's, uh, <laughs> he's just letting it rip. Like nobody's watching. You know? He's so, yeah, it, he's so confident and like there's no pretension to it or anything. And he, by this point, he's he's clearly earned the right to take that approach to it. Like, you know, it's Bob. You know, what, what, else, what else do you want? Yeah. Well, I can tell you what else you want and you might not even know that you want it. But what you get exactly on what here is uh, something that maybe you, you know you want, but you never thought you were going to get. That which, was the surf. This is the turf. This is, um, do you want to tell, say what this is? This is one of the all-time great Bob songs, as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm honestly very excited for uh, our, our 100th episode, Extravaganza, when we finally uh, break down and just do a 100 song list mm. because I am extremely excited to place this song right up there with all of the other classics, baby blue and rolling stone. Oh, my hands are sweating and we haven't even started yet. <sighs> Tight connection. Yes. Has, Has anybody, anybody seen, seen my, my love? love? And this is a version where how many times has this, this ever happened? Like where he's played it with a band like this. I, well, so that is that is one of the things I was going to say. This is the last time he ever played it. Wow. He's played it 13 times in his entire, 14 times, excuse me, 14 times in his entire career. First time, January 12th, 1990. Last played November 17th at the Supper Club, 1993. 14 times. Wow. <sighs> Well, it's, it's such a good song. It's, I fucking love this song. It's great, and what you hear on this version is uh, is the proof. Like it's like the, the you're really stripping everything away and re- revealing a song that feels like the continuing adventures of Bob Bobby Dylan of Bob. Yes. Like this song, when you hear it just played this way and sung this way without any of that distracting '80s accompaniment, which you know, it has its time and place. It feels suddenly like you can just see it for what it is, which is kind of like not that different from like tangled up in blue. Sure. It's like, it's like another one of these like kind of uh, rambling, like weird saga songs, like just a, like a love epic a la Bob. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's absolutely an epic quality to it. You know, a storytelling element, um, kind of jumping all over the place. It isn't clear exactly what's happening or who's who's even talking or to whom they're speaking to for most of it. Um, but it's such a just like arresting kind of overwhelming sensation that you get you get drawn in. Uh, it's got that cinematic quality that yeah. Bob talked about. You know, wanting to impart on it. Um, well, and it does and have it. I think this this version of it is uh, it fills in some gaps from the studio version, right? Where you can start to like see it a little bit more clearly, see the real you at last, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, sort of <laughs> well see done. see this song for what it is, which is um, 
yeah, nothing less than one of the finest songs of Dylan in the eighties and, and kind of just like one of the best jams. Uh, yeah. One of the best songs of Bob in the eighties, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best songs of Bob, like period. I think this well, is there's like a not that many, there's not that many that are kind of like this. Um, I mean, I really mean it when I say it's like a tangled up in blue. It's like a, I think, you know, Brownsville girl is like a, a, a sort of a stab toward this type of thing. Hmm. But this is also like, I mean, maybe we could go like wild and try to think of like an earlier song that this is kind of reminds us of, but like, it is it is it that different from like, just like Tom Thumbs blues even, you know, it's like, right. When you're lost in the rain in Juarez and he's wearing a padded blue wig. <laughs> so, so, yeah, those pieces fit together. Like there's a similar approach to imagery. Just saying. It's yeah. I, I, I think a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the hate <clears throat> that uh, empire has gotten throughout the years obviously relates to the very like clear uh and and present and, and heavy kind of 80s production uh that that exists all over it which i think is really fantastic in spots and and uh, imparts a really interesting kind of dynamic to bo- to that material that we don't get for really the rest of his career mm-hmm. uh but you know i i i like it but i i can still understand where people you know, have a hard time like getting through that to get to the material that that lies underneath. Uh, but yeah, I think you're exactly right in that. Like this version of it just clearly illustrates that, like even minus all of that shit, this song is still like an absolute stone cold knockout stunner. And he really like kind of digs into it. It's a seven. It's a seven minute version of the song. Oh yeah, like, he really kind of like fucking like dials in on this one. That's what I was again. saying. It's, it's the, the grand, uh, so they're lifting the, you know, silver p- cover off the platter for this. One. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, uh, the pedal steel is, is amazing. There's a, there's a beautiful Great harmonica. harmonica. Solo. When the harmonica comes in, it's like what you really want with the Bob harmonica moment where you hear it just come in and it's like, it sweeps you off your feet. You're just like, Oh, I didn't even, cause the singing is so great. And then the harmonica at its best really is like when the singing can't even do it, then you turn it up to 11, you bring in that harp. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how, where, where else can he go? How, how, how can we elevate how, this? You can't even go higher? any higher. You can't go any higher. You turn it up. That's like the like from Spinal Tap, the classic moment of turning up the amp to eleven. To eleven, exactly. The harmonica is eleven. Um, and there's Turn it up to harmonica. You know, it's another thing about this song that and that really comes across here is just how many moments in it are built in for Bob to kind of really have a like a emotional climax. Like there are moments built in where he shows off his voice. And the lyrics, like, never could learn to drink that blood and call it wine. Never could learn to hold you, love, and call you mine. <laughs> there, and, and when and what uh, what looks large from a distance close up is never that big. Never that big. The audience is, like, laugh, laughing and clapping. So beautiful. 
So I absolutely love it. And it's like I said, the last time this song has ever been played, and really kind of like the like there have only ever been like two versions of this song, basically looking at the set list. He started playing it January 12th, 1990. Um, then most of the versions took place between then and February 6th, 1990. Um, he played it twice in June, 1990, once in October, 1990. And then just these two other times in the separate club shows three years later, November 93, mm. uh, obviously would have been a completely different band, completely different sound and vibe. Um, so like, Something about this song, like these Supper Club shows with this specific band, this specific set list, this specific approach, Bob felt like it fit into this material. And it's such a, like if you look at it on its face, like how does, how does Tight Connection fit in with fucking, you know, Jim Jones or Jack O'Row or something like that? Um, but in presented in this context, in this way, alongside it all, it all completely fits together. And there, there's this beautiful kind of thread that runs from these centuries-old folk songs right up and through 1985's, you know, most cloying kind of, you know, overproduced pop song kind of shit that he was doing. I, it's just, it's amazing to, to see the way that he can kind of recontextualize this and make it all make sense together. Well, the next song, uh, to that point, just uh, works as more connective tissue to pull that off because disease mm. of conceit is a song that uh, we've remarked upon as being kind of odd. Like it feels like the, sort of an odd song on Oh Mercy, but um, somehow in between <laughs> has anybody seen my love take connection in my heart and, and then a song after it, which is blood in my eyes. It, uh, it works and it it has a similar thing there's like the great sandwich here um as presented by whoever compiled this of um, thousandhighways.blogspot.com mr highways um <laughs> has anybody seen my yeah you got ring them bells tight connection and then disease of conceit it's a good uh it's a good sandwich of um some empire in with some some oh mercy bread right yeah, I think you're right. Um, Disease of Conceit, I think, like uh, Ring Them Bells, like on Oh Mercy, I don't think it, it, it I, I, I know it's certainly not as successful as something like Ring Them Bells. Um, the lyric is weird. You know, it, it kind of exists weird. somewhere along with, it, it's, it's, it's similar to dignity or political world, right? Yes. Where you see like, you, you can kind of see where he's going. Songs about a word. <laughs> right. Today's <laughs> word is conceit. Then we have to, Bob, you have to make a song called uh, dignity. Yeah. We have the song about politics. We have the song about conceit and we have the songs about, uh, or the song about dignity. Um, you can kind of see the direction that he's going, but he doesn't a hundred percent of the way get there or get there all the way. Um, but, um, I think I, this is one of the songs on the record, at least where the Lanois shit maybe detracts a little bit from what he's trying to do. Um, and so, so again, hearing it in this kind of, you know, he's, this has got a nice kind of full wholesome country-ish sound to it. Um, and it, it just, it, it makes more sense, I think. Um, it's still still kind of weird. I still don't exactly know what he was trying to do a hundred percent, but like I can I can appreciate it a little bit more. I would say right. Um, Moving on, but yeah, 
connective tissue to blood in my eyes. Yeah, the back to the covers. the conceit, the disease of the blood in my eyes. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> that, that's certainly a disease that you're going to want to get checked out. Yeah, and you want to check out blood in my eyes on this concert. <laughs> well, well done. We're really getting good at this. Every day, every day, <laughs> my power increases. <laughs> Um, um, I think Blood and Blood is, is one of my this one of my favorites on the original records, actually, and and that carries right over to this live version of it. Well, it's because really, it's Bob's uh, it's Bob's original um, arrangement of a classic, an old song. But right. I, I really, honestly, think that his his version of it his um, his arrangement is like the best possible arrangement, right? It's like better than the original to me. Yeah, it's a very just kind of like simple, not trying to do too much kind of thing here, um, but effective, I think, for that very reason. You know, it's that, that's the thing with a lot of these old songs and why it's so interesting to hear Bob play them, especially at this moment in time when he's got such a deep well, such a deep history of so many like just insanely literate songs with such lengthy, wild, uh, you know, lyric sheets and stuff. Um, a lot of these folk songs are, are like, like barely even songs. It's like two or three lines and then a chorus or a refrain. And that's about it. There isn't even a chorus. It's just a couple verses and right. it's the same refrain at the each of the, like, it's just, it's, it's like, uh, it really is folk music. You know, it's, it's, it's not a song that was written by someone, as like a, a product or anything. It's just, it's, this is just what came to people and one person played it for another person. And then that person played it for someone else. And it got passed down throughout the ages. And it just, it existed as this, this object, um, um, or not object. It, it existed as this like idea or feeling or spirit or something. Mm. And so, um, it's, it's just, it's impressive that Bob is able to inhabit these songs as fully as he is able to inhabit his own material, um, and hold both of those kind of seemingly contradictory approaches to songwriting and singing at the same time. Yeah, um, it's just know. such a an intoxicatingly sweet song, too. And it's it's cool to hear it played with the band, like sort of just jauntily. It's it's a happy song too. It's just uh, this will put a right. smile on your face. That's it certainly will. It's great. Delia. Delia. Silvio's um, sister. <laughs> no, this is Delia. Delia. Say- this is my least favorite. This is my bathroom uh, break, uh, I guess. Like, this yeah. is my, I don't care for the original old yeah. folk song about the, the gambling girl and the, all my friends are dead. It's fine. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, it, to me, this this on? might be my own problem more than anyone else, but like listening to um, the, uh, have you listened to the Johnny Cash, like American records, the covers records and stuff? I mean, not all of them, but yeah, I've, yeah. I, I've heard them. Yeah, I mean, the first, the first one, first song, first one is Delia. Um, and it's a different kind of interpretation, slightly different lyric, uh, but you know, same, same, "Quote unquote" song, um, even though it's folk music that's being re- reinterpreted, that that to me is kind of the like canonical interpretation of Delia for me. 
Um, there's like just a weight to Johnny's voice. Um, jo- that to Johnny, to Johnny. I thought you said yeah. Johnny. Johnny. Jo- <laughs> Johnny. Johnny Cash. Cash. <laughs> um, uh, there's a weight to Johnny's voice that makes sense with this particular song, this particular, you know, um, uh, lyric where you're literally murder, not you, but, uh, uh, Delia is being murdered by her partner. Yeah. I Um, mean, not every, uh, that's the thing about folk music. You know, everybody gets to try the song on. Sometimes it works better for one artist than another. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's okay. You know, that's kind of the nature of, of what's, of, of this kind of approach to shit. Yes. So that's Delia. Uh, I want you. Well, that's a good song, huh? What a great song. We all love to hear the song. I want you. And, uh, this last, the few, I, I, that we have here, I think it really works. Yes, I agree. Not a false, especially moment. like coming, coming from the last, I, I, I really do actually think that, Mr. Thousand Highways dot did a good job of sequencing this material because mm-hmm. coming from, you know, we have uh, tight connection, disease of conceit, blood in my eyes, Delia. None of those are like earworms necessarily, or stuff where like you're going to hear the first couple um, chords or anything, and you're going to lose your shit. Uh, but then I want you. You just hear that beginning, and it's so nimble and light, you know. It's great. It's like it's like oh yeah, we're we, it, this isn't just a guy singing you know cover songs or like weird you're, new you're versions like, oh, of songs yeah, from 1989. It's Bob. it's Bob. Yeah, it's Bob, and he's got I want you to pull out here. It's such a uh, it's such a great song, and this version of it I think uh, uh, again makes a lot of sense in this kind of. Um, context uh in the middle of this weird set list that combines stuff from 1985 with stuff from you know 1685 presumably yeah he's uh he's really uh on his toes on this i mean it is just wild to think about the amount of energy that it takes to do this for as long as he has and like yeah to do this just like two nights in a row, like I don't know. I mean, most people can't do that. Most people like two. Most two people times, have a tummy ache and row. they feel bad and they can, and they don't <laughs> want to go up on. They couldn't. Like, yeah, they need to go do self care by laying in bed and ordering Seamless and watching Netflix. No, Bob Dylan does self care by staying on the level, so we don't know what he does. But whatever he does, <laughs> it, it works. He. He watches a uh, the Patsy uh, and uh, he he's ready to go out there. Watches that Jerry Lewis marathon, and then he's just like, "Let's go." <laughs> There's nothing I can say more about this other than it's a, a rollicking good time and a nice cover of "I Want You." Cover a nice version of "I Want You." Yeah, nice cover. Yeah, it almost does sound like yeah. a cover. It does. It's a totally he's like treating totally it. Man. He's treating it like it as if it is, which you know is kind of probably fun. It's like, you know, they say about eroticism, um, they say, you know, to keep a, a, a bond with a partner exciting, you've got to kind of like have ideas of in your head to, you got to try different approaches. You got to like think of things in a more four dimensional way, you know, hmm. that's what he's doing with his song. Four dimensional. Yeah. Uh, dynamic relationship with his music. 
Sure. Yeah, the 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 band I think really is a highlight on this this version too because there's like three guitars going at the same time. I don't actually know if Bob was playing a guitar himself on on this uh, show. Um, but there's a beautiful pedal steel that's kind of filling in some of the most notorious kind of notes like do, 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 do. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And and then there's like several acoustic guitars that are kind of like playing off of one another. And like, I, I don't know, I'm not the, I'm not the music, uh, the musicologist to kind of describe this. I'm not, uh, Tyler, uh, from the last episode by any means, but, um, you know, it just it it it's it's a really beautiful kind of symphony with the band, mm-hmm. uh, and then he ends with the harmonica, and it's uh, it's everything yeah, that you want. You get that harmonica at the end, yeah. And then um, you get another like basically the part two of that. Yeah, you get everything else that you want. You get that Queen Jane, approximately. Approximately, uh, he really leans into this one, really stretches yes. this one out eight. Eight and a half minutes. And it starts with that sort of uh, yawning uh, uh, pedal steel. Mm-hmm. It's very slow, slow tempo. What a great song. What a great song. Won't you come see me, Queen Jane? Yeah. The delivery is really what you want to go to this one for. I mean, it it's just like consistently uh fascinating what he decides to do with these <laughs> with every line and with the vowels and with the the phrasing it's just like it's ways of singing it like you would never ever think of yeah i wonder how he comes to these like interpretate these versions of of uh, like ways of singing these songs like do you think he's sitting at home kind of like Practicing, practicing this stuff on his own, like looking in the mirror, or is it all just like sounds, he just gets would, up on stage and whatever the sounds like the, the shower. It's like more like being in the shower for him. It's like he's just kind of like in the zone, just riffing, riffing, sort of like it's like he's like praying or something. He's like <laughs> like just kind of doing these different like melodies that are specific for certain lines, like. Queen Jane, <laughs> won't you come see me? Queen Jane. <laughs> it's such a strange emotion. Like the the emotion is, is um, it's not sad. It's not happy. It's, it's just Bobby, Bobby feelings. Just, just Zimmy, just Zimbo. It's that Zimbo magic that you can't understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, once again, pedal steel is the MVP here. Yeah, uh, I don't know how many other times I can say it, but it. Uh, I just, I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> he like really, he just like goes for it, and yet it's the whole the whole thing is kind of like laid back, kind of like sweet, but he's. Uh, I mean, I'm just listening back to it. <laughs> Come see me. The the ways that he says he's talking about Queen Jane here, just unbelievable. It sure is. No. Well, after that rousing Queen Jane, that I should say, quixotic and um, captivating Queen Jane, then we we get back into the into the mix here with um, 
really one of the biggest rippers of the barn burner of this whole set, I think. Yes, unquestionably. Which is pretty cool. And it's Jack and it, Yeah, it's like a barn burner that you never thought would be, which is Jack Arrow. Yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah, it fucking rocks. It it almost feels like a dry run for high water or something. Or yeah, some or like Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's absolutely connections, you know, kind of through lines between this this material and this approach and Love and Theft. And that's the other kind of great thing about this whole um show and this whole period is that you can kind of like feel the the tide turning, feel him like sort of it's no at this point he's fully back on the on the saddle. Um, but he's like playing around with like a, a trot and a gallop and just like right. doing different, um, equestrian antics, s- seeing how, how fast he can go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, here he goes <laughs> pretty fast, pretty fast on the, on his, yeah. on his horse. Uh huh. You can picture Bob Get- just like whipping a horse. <laughs> Giddy up. Yeah. Like a little jockey on like a big, big gray horse. Big gray mare. Yeah. Or stallion. Yeah. Whipping through like the brambles and the, mm. and the, uh, the, the swamp lands and the forest at dusk. That's how this one feels. Maybe yeah. there's like a few other people chasing him with like torches and pitchforks, trying right, to run yeah, him out of right, town. Yeah. I see that. I see that. Or it's like the you know the the famous chase scene in like uh, Ichabod and Mister Toad, the, <laughs> the headless horseman. <laughs> yeah, it's like that type of shit. That yeah, exactly. But Bob singing, he just sings his, the hell out of this. I was playing this earlier, um, and my roommate was just like, "Damn!" Like he's like. I think this is like the the best one yet on this on this disc. It really is kind of arresting and uh, energetic. I, I think the the key for me on this one is well, I mean the banjo is super apparent and like super kind of propulsive and thrilling. Um, but uh, the percussion, the drums, we, we haven't even mentioned it yet. But Winston Watson is the the on the kit for this entire he's show. He's the guy. Or both of yeah. these shows. Um, and this one is like really just kind of like propulsive. Um, and, uh, or on this one, he is really propulsive, um, and matches kind of the energy that the banjo is, is putting out. Um, yeah, Jack Rowe is not one that you necessarily expect to be kind of like a barn burner thrilling kind of song, like you were mentioning, but just this, you know, he gets up on stage, he's got these guys behind him and he fucking kills it. Yeah. It's really cool. It just is like a, the crowd is like fully there for it too. You can hear Totally vibing. Yeah. And his singing is just like. He's leaning into. It's like he's. He's calling me Jack Harrow. It's it's like his um his paying blood of this set, you know, or his. <laughs> it's that kind of snarling like. Yeah, there's an edge to it. And when I was talking about how how Dylan seems like especially interested and invested in certain of these covers at this point, which makes sense. Like this is the apex of that. And it's uh, yet again, just, you know, just like on uh world gone wrong, especially where there's all these liner notes on that record that are like way deep and crazy in the way that only Bob can be. 
but about these songs that you would never think to, that seem maybe dusty. They seem like old relics, but to him, they're totally not. And it really comes alive when he has a band here. And it's like, you really get a peek behind the curtain of like whatever the hell he imagines about these songs. And you can, Mm -hmm. you can actually see it and feel it here. Like straight up. It feels like any other song that is contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. They're all Bob songs. They're all Bob, you know, whether or not he actually wrote them, they're all, they're all his. The, uh, the last song I didn't know what it would be when I was listening to it because I, I just hadn't really skimmed, hadn't really uh, looked too closely at the set list. And so it was just playing through and um, the intro happened. And then I thought as it was starting and I first recognized what it was, I thought that's such a great left turn, a great uh, close to this uh, collection here. So again, uh, endless highway man, you done it. You did a good job. Thousand, thousand highways. The thousand island man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, forever young. It's forever young. Yeah. The only song from the seventies on here, right? Only song from the seventies. At least on, on on this uh, list. On this list, at least, yeah. I'm I mean, looking at the actual. What set are the list. other They're- songs that we haven't uh, talked about, though? Because we should. I want to make some honorable mentions. I don't want anybody being like, "Oh, you talked about the Supper Club, but you didn't talk about this and this." Yeah, there are just a couple that we missed because uh, th- this is most of them. But th- there are a couple that I would really love to listen to myself. I might need to go seek out alternate versions of this. Lay Lady Lay. Oh, I I have listened to that. It's very good. I'm sure it is one of my favorites from one of my favorite records. Um, and then Forever Young was the closer for Night One. Okay, so um, it's fitting and a very wise choice to end this. Uh... It is, but Night Two. Uh, I Shall Be Released I is see. the closer. Another one of my absolute favorites. We've also got an, another cup of coffee was played. Or one more cup of coffee. Uh, was it? It was. Okay. My Back Pages was also And My playing. Back Pages, yeah. Uh, and Absolutely Sweet Marie. Yes. So, like, there, that's not so crazy, you know. Like, the, they're all kind of in that same realm. Yeah, I mean, tight connection is really the hard left turn. That's the, that's the total oddball, and you know, the sleeper hit of this thing. Yes. Um, one more cup of coffee, you know, is is kind of the only other '70s tune, right? Besides mm-hmm. "Forever Young" here. Yeah. Um, and this version of "Forever Young," it's a song that I I don't know about you, but for me, it's like always been kind of on the back burner because I associate it with like cornball, like people who only know one, one Dylan song and they just like throw this onto like a, a corny event playlist. Mm. But of course it's, it's better than that. It deserves better than that uh, understanding. And this, this version of it is like one of the best cases you can make for how how good the song can be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I almost don't even think of it as a Bob song. 
um, or like a Bob original. Yeah, I know. It is, of course. That's how I Um, feel too. But yeah, it's such a, like such a simple and kind of um, universal track (laughs) that it almost feels. Feels just like some like well, well known rabbi wrote this. Right. Yeah. It feels like a song that doesn't even have an author almost. Um, it just exists and there are various interpretations by various artists. But of course that is, that's fucking Bob for you is that he is so good that he's able to do that. And you know, it, it becomes a song that is even greater than himself. Right. And it, it's, um, it's famously like, you know, there's two versions of it on, uh, before right. the flo- I mean, on, uh, planet, planet waves. waves and, um, I like to think that that's because the song is so earnest, so powerful, so true that he was a little bit embarrassed by it. Yeah, I think that's literally what I mean, it was. That, like he recorded the the slow version. He was like, "Ah, this is a little sus. I don't know about this." Well, he and was so he, he put, was shamed. I forget who said it, but they were like, "This is kind of like maudlin, isn't it? This is kind of like corny, right, Bob?" Right. And he exactly he felt I think a little bit like he second guessed himself, but not enough to cut it. Just enough to be like, well, it's not. Do it all over again. I'll do it two of them just to show how little I care about this. <laughs> it's like totally telling. Um, but here he, you know, he's lets it like luxuriate, lets it ride. Indeed. And you can hear his age in in this song, which uh, he is not forever young. No, but it's about it's all the more powerful him singing it as an older man, the aspiration to have, have it be young, keep it young. Pepsi for those who think young. (laughs) Well, that's, uh, I think that's, that's it. That's the supper club for you. I mean, really is, uh, uh, an amazing kind of document of an amazing moment in Bob's career fleeting, certainly, you know, four shows like this ever, um, no one, or not no one, but few people uh, outside of the Bob community really dial into this. But there are just there's this immaculate, you know, kind of version of all of these songs. Download it for free. Listen to it. It's like you know, it fucking rocks. Yeah, and on YouTube, um, there's the whole thing, every version of you know from both nights and the songs we didn't really go into as well. Yeah, four hours or something of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, give it a spin, folks. It's uh, it's great stuff, and it's it's stuff that hasn't really made it out there quite as far as it should. At least you know beyond the psycho community that we are rapidly becoming a part of. I guess we um, are becoming a part of this community, aren't we? I <laughs> I I think that uh, Tyler mentioned something about in offhand, like the Bob community, like was hurt, like was talking about something that we said. Yeah, they were. Yeah, the, apparently the Kean story got picked up in the Bob community, and that uh, that ruffled some feathers or uh, titillated some folks. Yeah, I didn't because that's the first I've heard of us being part of any anything larger than ourselves. Well, clearly, uh, judging by the uh, reaction of all the Bobcats in the the uh, Bobcats, the Twitter, wow, is that, that what they're that's called? What they call, that's what they call themselves. Is yeah. it? It is. See, this is how outside um, the community I am. I don't even know that that's the terminology. That's the that's the term of art. Yeah. Um, clearly, clearly they're picking up with us. So uh, you know, welcome. Uh, we're not going to be doing Bob forever, but uh, I'm glad you're you're here for the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this might also conclude our run of uh, our our side t- uh, side tour into tour. At least uh, for episodes. now. Yeah. For the time being, at least. Yeah. 
this uh, we're going, to, going back back to the genuine back to the well back to the the, the other well yes uh jokerman season four beginning i think probably with our next uh next couple episodes um that's right. soon at least uh bob in the 21st century uh with everyone's favorite love and theft jokerman
Now there's not showing any lights tonight And there's no moon There's just some kind of thing out there singing Memphis in June And they're beating the devil out Of a guy who's wearing a pot of blue wig A little hippie shot ball Resisting arrest I can still hear his voice Right in the wilderness One little lot from a distance Love. Ain't nobody see my love. 